Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Dave Jackson, founder and CEO of TheCustomer.co and author of the book, Customer-Led Growth. In this episode, we talked about customer success as a company-wide capability, the motivation behind his recent book, Customer-Led Growth, and Dave explains why you should purposefully design your organization around customer value. We also discussed why you should screw best practices and dove into the seven principles of customer success to deliver maximum customer value. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation, Andrew. Looking forward to the conversation. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Dave is the founder and CEO of thecustomer.co, which helps B2B SaaS companies profitably win, satisfy, retain, and grow their chosen customers better than the competition. Prior to founding thecustomer.co, he founded and led grew customer feedback specialist Click Tools, where he served as CEO for 15 years. Founded in 2000, ClickTools was one of the UK's first true SaaS companies and one of the first to recognize the importance of customer success, appointing their first CSM in 2005. He led the company through two transactions, selling 49.9% to SurveyMonkey in 2010 and 100% to Colitis Cloud in 2014. He is the author of Dynamic Organizations and Becoming Dynamic, both published by Macmillan, and most recently, Customer-Led Growth. My first question for you, Dave, is like, how and why did you hire your first CSM back in 2000? When we started ClickTools back in 2000, which, by the way, was before the term SaaS had been invented, um, there weren't many sources of information and advice about how to build a SaaS company. We were very fortunate because we were Salesforce's first European software partner. We were also a customer of theirs. We used their CRM uh, product and we were a supplier to them. They used us to do some of their customer feedback. So we got to know them quite well. And there's the apocryphal story about, about the offsite meeting when Benioff was saying, look how great we're growing. And there was a guy called an Irishman, I think it was David Dempsey, uh, said, this is great, but we're churning massively. Effectively, we, I think we were churning something like 8 to 12% per month. Uh, and he said, if we don't do anything about this, we'll go out of business because we're winning lots of customers. Yeah, but we're losing lots of customers. And Benioff then said, OK, we're going to create this thing called customer success and we're going to appoint customer success managers and build a team called Customers for Life. And because we're quite close to 
Salesforce. We learned a lot from them. They were the one, pe- one company you could turn to for, for advice and guidance. We did the same. So I think they did it in something like April 2005, and we followed suit in October 2005. Just because two things, really. One was, if Salesforce is doing it, it's probably a good idea. And the second was, customers has been very close to my heart for a long time. I've always been a great believer in the importance of customers. So those two things came together and said, let's do the customer success thing. This makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I think definitely that's somebody who I'd love to have on the show is Mark Benioff. Uh, mm. Haven't been able to reach him yet, but at some point would love to, because I think the origin, like so many other companies followed suit when it came to it and set uh, a whole industry and a whole like a segment in, with that move back then. And you can see the importance and the value uh, of it today. And I think more and more companies are really realizing that's like not everyone was could see the future as well as you did probably back then, but more and more teams and companies now are uh, realizing how, how critical it is as a function. You've obviously then been doing this for a long time as well, and you've seen uh, markets evolve. Obviously, you advise some really great companies in the process now as well, and you've had the vantage point of seeing the start and, and the birth of like customer success and seeing where it's gone to and grown today. What else, like, let's say if you had to pick like one of the biggest differences between back then and today and one of something that hasn't changed at all? I think one of the biggest differences is that there is a growing recognition that customer success is not just about what a customer success team does. Um, so even before Click Tools, back in my days, I was involved in some research with a management development company back in 1988, 89. Um, and one of the phrases that we came up with then was, a, it's, it's applicable and still used in the context of customer success. It's about everything the organization does to profitably win, satisfy, retain and grow its chosen customers better than the competition, which is, and that phrase I, I continue to use, and I think it's still valid. And it does get across the shift from CS started in terms of churn prevention team to where it is now, which is actually not a team at all. The best companies that do it really recognize it as a company-wide capability. So that's the biggest difference I think that I'm seeing. In terms of the similarity, we can go pre-SAS and some of the fundamentals have, have never changed. I think back in the 60s and 70s, Peter Drucker, the old the original management guru, said the purpose of a company is to win and keep a customer. He also said, by the way, that the customer rarely buys what the supplier thinks it's selling. So some things haven't changed. Some things are eternal in that sense. How we apply those ideas and concepts, I think, is changing and will continue to change. Yeah, for sure. And I think as well, like the, I could say this is one of the biggest differences that you do see you highlighting. Being that team responsible for churn has evolved to like really focusing on the success. And I really like the point that you make as well that this is a, like a company uh, job. It's not a team's job. And we were just chatting a little bit about this in the beginning. And obviously, I think this comes into like the new book, Customer-Led Growth. Maybe you want to tell us a little about the motivation, what it's about, like a short synopsis. Yeah. So in terms of the what the book's about, the subtitle to the book is A CEO's Guide to Building a B2B SaaS Company. And that is my focus. I only work in the B2B SaaS space. Why? I think it's an area where I've got a little bit of, of knowledge and capability. It's also an area which I find extremely fascinating. And there's, you know, Take your own medicine. I think don't be true to your chosen customers. My chosen customers are B2B SaaS companies. My ideal customer profile is certain types of B2B SaaS companies. Um, 
And why did I write it? I wrote it because over time, I'd got these ideas about some of the things that I'd done, including some of the things I'd done wrong in growing click tools. Um, but also, I think I was seeing so much around customer success, which was focusing on the role of the CSM and, and the role of the customer success team. And I just thought it's much more than that. And I think people recognize that now, but turning that intent and that philosophy into reality is something that um, I've spent the last 20 years thinking about and doing. So I needed to get these ideas, all of which were there, quite often at the back of the head, but I needed to bring them in a way that I could structure them and explain them, hopefully, in a reasonably clear way. So that's why I wrote the book, because I needed to think about it. Sure. Uh, it's still as well, I think we previously discussed this on an episode uh, recently where we talked about like the title of customer success for the specific job function and does it like does it make sense and the, the, there's arguments on both sides but at the ultimately surely that's what you're there to do as a company and you mentioned like Peter Drucker's like to keep and retain uh, customers like to keep them happy like that is the function that's why the business exists and then to call a team by this name as well for me I see the arguments in the side that, yes, okay, it's, you need to give it to a team to make sure that the whole company is working together towards like success and bringing the alignment together and so forth. But at the other end, it's like also sets maybe false expectations when the education is not there in the organization and I have a clear understanding of like why this team exists and what they're there to do. Because uh, we actually had this, I think, like at Hotjar and David, uh, the CEO, was like a huge uh, advocate for not having a growth team, like calling the team growth because... As soon as you call a team growth team, then like what expectations is that set on the rest of the organization? Nobody needs to worry about growth and it's just, we leave it up to that team. And I think the same thing applies with customer success. And this is like a really good education in the, the company. And I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this and the actual like uh, naming of the role and of the function and playing into like what you're saying about it being the job and the role of the company. Well, I think there are two things. One is I see on different forums, LinkedIn and, and others, there's lots and lots of um, debate about the difference between customer service and customer success and customer support and customer experience. And to be quite frankly, those debates annoy me because they're meaningless. Customers don't give a toss what you call it. Just figure out what it means to your customers and deliver it. And then if you want to do, and I say this in the book, call it Fred, because it really doesn't matter. If you've got it right, it doesn't matter what you call it. But what you'll find is, most of the people that call it customer success are in the customer success business. It's, you know, <laughs> if all I've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's that sort of syndrome. Um, the other thing is, it, there is so much, go back to, to my chosen customers, B2B SaaS companies. The only thing that a B2B SaaS company does, once it's figured out what problem it's solving for and who it's solving it for, then it figures out what value means to those people, people, not just companies. And then all it does is it markets that value. It sells that value. The product should deliver that value and anybody else should enable that value. So it's like the red thread that runs right through the company. So it becomes the basis for me upon which, and which why the book's written for CEOs, is it's how you purposefully design the organization to around that red thread, around that value to customers. Now, is that 
is the outcome of that successful customers? Yes, I hope it, it is. But specifically, it's successful individuals all within, within one company. Let's unpack that a little bit then. So new uh, CEO getting started building the company, um, starting to want to think of how to structure things. Like, How do you go about it in this context? And how do you like tie the thread together and uh, structure your company in a way that builds your customers up for success and your team? Okay. So the first thing is structure is not the first thing you look at. Okay. Um, when an architect thinks about a building, there's an American architect at the end of the 18... 100s wrote a paper and in it the, the summary basically was form follows function what it looks like follows what it's got to do so what a good architect does is figure out what's the purpose of the building who's it for and how's it going to work and i think we need to take that lesson into how we think about organization design let's forget about structure for the time being let's figure out what our purpose is what our vision is what our values are what customers are we serving? And as I say, it's people, not just individuals. And how are we going to deliver that to them? And once we've figured that out, then we can think about what sort of teams do we need? But we jump into the structure piece without thinking about what we're actually trying to do in the first place. There's a, yeah. there's a great saying, it was, I'll paraphrase it, and it's, it, it says, we were formed into teams and we were beginning to perform well. Then we would be reorganised. I was to learn later in life that this is a wonderful device, i.e. changing structure, for creating the illusion of progress whilst actually creating demoralization and inefficiency. And that saying goes back to a Roman senator over two and a half thousand years ago. And I still think we haven't learned. It's not about changing the structure all the time. Changing structure doesn't change how things get done, usually. You've got to focus on what you are doing, who you are doing it for, and what's the best way to do it. And that, to me, is organisation design. Do the lines and the boxes come later on? Yes, they do, but later on. And I think we, we get it asked about face. We, we think about the structure and then figure things out from there. Now, I like that analogy of the uh, architects uh, looking at the building and what are the, uh, like, it's the jobs to be done. What do our customers need to get done? And then thinking about what teams and structure we need in place. Because I think very often we automatically gravitate towards like the typical sales, marketing, uh, engineering product and uh, these teams. And I think from my perspective, like when you're building a company, the product that you're building is the company itself. It's not just like the individual's piece of software or the end product. And essentially every step of this is part of the user journey and uh, treating it as such. I've seen in different companies where the product team or the engineering team are like the gods of the company and uh, that's the most important thing and that's what we focus on and what we treat. And I think having the mindset, that's like a very internal mindset and it's not really focused on like the customer's value and their endpoints. And if we treat it as a whole, like they're coming to us for a specific product or service, like if anything, maybe the interaction that human touch that they have with support is probably the most important interaction because it can really differentiate you from the competition. Definitely find it interesting and a great point you make as well, like, not starting with structure first, like really thinking about, okay, what are our customers here to achieve? If you ask people about great companies, quite often they'll describe things like values, vision, collaboration, cooperation, um, challenge, innovation. I don't think you ever find any of those things in an organization. They are the things that I think 
differentiate a good from a great company. But we get hung up because why do we get hung up about organization charts? Well, that's because if you go back to the history of organizations, the whole concept of management started when we moved out of the fields and into factories. It's a very different thing then to what it is now. Organizing physical work as against organizing knowledge work, completely different set of concepts. But we still rely on the same ideals, the same principles when we come to organization design. Too much. Yeah, it's that sort of thing like when you have an invention bias or I can't remember the exact bias, but it's like when something's been done, you just accept it for granted and then it just becomes the norm uh, and not challenged. And like this happens just in, in everything in our lives. There's probably like better ways to do most things. It's just once you get something that works sufficiently well for you, uh, nobody bothers to sit and challenge them. And uh, sometimes like, I think it is important to like take a step back just to rethink these concepts quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I did a presentation for one of the universities in the US and the subtitle was Notes from a CS Heretic. And I think too often, we and actually the customer success community is very good at sharing ideas. It's less good at questioning some of those ideas. Some people do, but others don't. And I think if I've done anything in my life, it is I've always asked the question, why do we do that? And if the answer comes back, we need to do it, because quite often the answer is we don't need to do it, but that's because what that's what everybody else does. And my second question is, why do we do it that way? And I don't think we go back to, you know, first principle thinking often enough. If you look at the people that have changed the world, the first principles thinking, what are we fundamentally, what are we trying to achieve here? And and what's the best way to do it? Forgetting quite often what's been done in the past. For sure. And in more sides than like the customer success space, because it is so new uh, and relatively speaking to anything else, any other practice that, probably the best practices have not been discovered or defined yet or the best ways about going sure. things. And uh, yeah. there is just so much of this opportunity to yeah. shape and define what this means for your company, yeah. for your customers. Uh, yes. I, I have got this belief that, that common practice is really best practice. It's really there. Okay. Yeah. We used to, I think at Hodge as well, it was something like screw best practices. Uh, yeah. It's like the ideology. And it's something as well, like I mentioned to you before the show is that when it comes to churn and retention, like, there's very rarely a place where you can apply a best practice that's going to meet and suit your business because it just the inputs vary so drastically depending on the company, the segment, customers you're going after. Yeah, yeah I'm but, a believer of this as well. But by all means, look at what other people are doing and understand why they're doing it, but also understand the context in which they're doing it. Yeah. As I say, I'm old enough, I remember Tom Peters was, was one of the gurus several years ago, probably still is. And he talked about learning from other people. He called it creative swiping. Go and look at their ideas, take the best ones, but don't just take them as they are because they work in that company because of everything else in that company. Look at it and say, how does this apply to us? Maybe it doesn't at all. Or if it does, yeah, but we need to tweak this and this. Yeah, I think that's like a a key thing is obviously you want to be learning from those around you. You can learn a lot from people's mistakes and uh, things that they're doing well, but just really like, making things your own and understanding how it can be applicable in your business. I think it's also because of like good artists borrow, great artists steal yeah. thing just to innovate and work around like what's around there, but just not taking things for granted. Yeah. Customer-led growth then in this mindset, like what are some of the key things companies need to be doing right to really serve their customers and set them up for success? The, the bulk of the book, Andrew, is built around seven principles. 
The first one is that CS is a financial strategy. Recognize the impact that good delivering value to customers has on the value of your organization. So understand unit costs and unit economics. Understand the impact on valuation. Understand how that's measured. We don't just look at your measures, but look at how the, your customers and the individual in your customers think about value in their context. The second is what we've talked about, you know, the second principle is success by design. I think one of the things that a lot of people miss, CEOs included, is that one of the chief tasks of a CEO is that of organi chief organization designer. And I think we've got to get back to this concept of what I call purposeful organization design. There's a great saying that says, um, all organizations are perfectly designed to achieve the results they get. Yeah. And if we want to change the results we get, we've got to think about changing the way that our organization works. And again, this is not about lines and boxes. It's about vision and values. It's about ideal customer profiles. It's about understanding the customer from the outside in. It's about understanding their value. It's about the metrics that you put in place to reward and, and measure performance. The third is, third principle is it's not about customers. Customer success is not about customers. That sounds odd, doesn't it? It's about people. And quite often we hide behind this faceless thing called the customer. And actually, when you unpack it, the only time you ever see the customer is the name on an order form and the name on a check. Everything else is down to individuals. You know, so there's a buyer, yes, but what they need out of it and what, you know, so for example, if you're selling some sort of marketing solution, CMO wants from it, what a head of digital marketing wants from it, what a brand manager wants from it, what a marketing executive wants from your products and services, completely different. And to think that we can, you know, deliver value to a customer without thinking about what value means to those individuals and how we're going to make them successful, I think it is a big mistake that, that uh, we're starting to get our heads around. And the, the, that builds on the fourth principle, which is you have to have a deep, deep understanding of what value means. So we've talked about jobs to be done. Yeah. What's their, you know, what work do they have to achieve? And again, individuals, how are they measured? What are their challenges? What's going to make them successful? And how do we bring that together in a way that's the same sort of content and thread? So here's the red thread right across the organization. Because what I can't afford to do is have marketing selling, marketing one value, sales selling a different value, product delivering a different value, and customer success and professional services enabling something else. It has to be the same understanding of value. But the fifth principle is actually, when you get this right, delivering value is selling. Success is selling. So I always talk about this double helix, like DNA, and the first thread of that is delivering value. And the more and more you do of that, the more bonds you throw off, which is generating money. So one bond might be about retention. Another bond might be about re retention. Another bond might be about retention. But another bond says, well, actually, you can only achieve this value, which is important to you, by buying something additional. That's an upsell, an expansion opportunity. Oh, by the way, delivering this value means I'm going to advocate for you. Well, that's secondary revenue. So if you get the value piece right and deliver success in the terms of the individuals, it is about selling. Um, the sixth principle is it's about their choice, not yours. I find a lot of people, a lot of SaaS companies make the belief that says, here's the customer journey. You know, we're going to take you through this stage and then this stage and then this stage and then this stage. And actually, 
customers have got their own journey. Individuals have got their own journey. I think Mike Tyson put this best when he said, any plan, any boxing plan comes to, hits a wall when the site of the first big punch. We try, we, we're doing it for the right reasons, but we're imposing our view of what their journey should be. And that means I think we've got to step back from that and say, actually, I've got to figure out, Andrew, what's your context? What data have I got? What information, what conversations have I got that said, this is your context? Oh, by the way, Michael, here's a few choices. You could do this, you could do that, you could do that. I think it's the best one for you. But you might want to choose something different. So we scrap journeys effectively, other than just building an understanding of what it looks like at the highest level and say, what's the next piece of value I can deliver to Andrew? And once you've got that one, maybe you, you know, do the same thing again, but at a higher level. Or maybe you do something different. Or maybe you do two or three things. So we actually unpack this idea of a single ROI measure or a single outcome and say, no, I'm just going to iterate, constantly iterate on delivering value in the way that Andrew understands it and that he'll recognize. And then the, the final principle is code scales better than people. We started SaaS companies and we start a B2B SaaS company, and I, I go back, that is my target market, is a product company. And I'm staggered how quite often we've not thought about how we use the product to deliver the value process. If I, and I remember asking this question on LinkedIn once. If I was delivering, if I had the product and it was delivering measurable value to the individuals that I serve in a way that they were very happy with, so I'd got high value delivery, high customer satisfaction, and good repeat and expansion revenue, and I didn't have one CSM, am I good at customer success? Possibly. But again, common practice says what you do is you create a team of CSMs and they deliver this value. Da, da, da. Maybe what if we don't? And if I think if you look at a lot of the newer companies, newer SaaS companies that are coming up, they're starting. It's much, much more about what's in the product. Do you have people? Absolutely. But I think the world is shifting to self-service much more rapidly than a lot of people realize. And every time there's been a new self-service option in history, people have said, oh, it won't work. By the way, the people that say it won't work are typically the people that are employed in that field. Yeah. When ATMs came along, bank teller says, oh, people won't stand outside and get their money. They'll come to the bank and talk to me. No, you don't. When self-service shopping came along, people said, they're not, they're not going to queue. They'll come to me and I'll get them everything they want. No, you don't. In fact, even now, we won't queue to deal with the teller. We'll go to the self-serve, self-scan stuff. So everybody's, every time there's been a good, by the way, the emphasis is on a good self-service option, that tends to become the chosen preference. I think good is key there because I think it also really depends uh, on the case. Like for you gave the self-serve checkout, if I have 10 items, I'm going to do it. But if I have 100 in my basket, like I'm going to go to the, the counter and add the items. Uh, I think it's just like how it goes. Specifically, I think it's the size of businesses make different, but I 100% agree like, automation is the the way forward and things are definitely moving more and more rapidly in this direction and i think the other thing as well is like support itself like the best type of support or the best type of documentation is a product that works well that nobody needs to contact you for and the same thing applies in success is that if you can use your product to make your customers extremely successful without needing them to contact your thing like that's the holy grail like you've that is a definition of a great product and a great user experience and a well thought out one because it's it's not easy to do that. Like it's incredibly difficult. Uh, 
there's a great book written. It's called The Best Service is No Service. Yeah. And it's based on the work that some consultants did. And it's it's the, an approach that's used exclu- extensively by Amazon, which has got some great customer satisfaction ratings, not perfect every time. It also is the company that's got, I think its mission or vision is to be the world's most customer-focused company. And all they're doing all the time is looking at why people contact them and saying, if we could build the product in a way that they didn't need to contact us, yeah. in a way that delivers what they want. I think Jeff Bezos in record is saying the last, pe- the last thing people want to do is call the call center. For sure. That's why their products are so good. And I think that's a mentality that we can bring into SaaS businesses more. Uh, and this one's important. Way, yeah. Yeah. There are cases where even the very best self-service will fall down. And you have to have a very good, rapid backup. So to me, self-service is not self-service only. It's the primary mechanism. It's the first mechanism. If it doesn't work for any reason, or if you've got customers that just can't, just can't use that, then you've got to do one of two things. You've either said, well, actually, I don't want to sell to you. Or you say, no, I've got a good option for you. Yeah. For sure. Ultimately, like looking out for success. And if the success is not met by one means, being there for the other means. But yeah. I, I think like this whole premise of the discussions while we've had now is it really comes back to value. And I think this is like when it comes to churn and retention, it's like always just about making sure you understand your customers deeply. You understand the value they're trying to extract. And as long as you're delivering on that value, like everything else uh, falls yeah. into place for you. But the one thing that most customer success Teams don't measure customer success. I see that. Most of the measures that we say about customer success are company success. So you've got to be able to say, how do you measure customer success? We'll say NRR, DRR, logo churn, net net motor school. None of those are measures of customer success. They're all measures of our success. Sure which are the outputs and the, the lagging metrics that don't allow you to understand what's happening. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are they important? Absolutely they are. Would I measure them every day when the business gets to a certain scale? But would I say they're measures of customer success? No. It's, it's interesting you're talking about this actually because we had a, a re- and talking about Amazon as a whole, like I recently interviewed Harini, who's the chief customer officer for AWS. And they actually measure their customers success so like they try to understand okay like what value do they give their customers and what customers do what do their customers what is the value that their customers give to their customers and they try and see like how their role in that plays. so if you're a gaming company whatever it is like it's the speed to deliver the product to their end customer and then they work with their customers to try and their game on that and it's they've really taken it like a step further in the chain. It's not just my responsibility to make my customer happy, but I want to make their customers happy as well in the process. So anything they can do to do that, I found it was really interesting discussion around the topic. And I mentioned that research that was involved with back in 88, 89. One of the things in there was understanding your customer's customer. But I think at the moment, Andrew, I'd be quite happy if we just started to understand and measure our own customers directly. Yeah. Then we can then we can move on to the next thing. But with Amazon, we're talking about a levels a really of sophistication. Yeah, yeah. On the next level. By the way, they've got the money because of the focus that they've put on customers. It's not they put they focus on customers 
therefore they've got the money. So it's not that they, they focus on customers because they've got the money. They've got the money because they focus on customers. For sure. Cool. I see we're running up on time. I want to save a question I ask every guest. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new company. Churner retention is not doing great at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Dave, like we need to turn things around fast. We have 90 days to try and make an impact on our churn. And you're in charge. And I want you to help us sort this out. The catch is, though, you're not going to give the traditional, like, I'm going to go speak to customers, understand their pain points, and uh, then start from there. You're just going to choose a tactic, something that you've seen work effectively in the past that helped reduce churn quickly. What would be the one activity you would want to run at this company? Well, you excluded the one that I would go for first, always. I think I would look at the renewals coming up in the next six months and who are the people that we're dealing with there and look at how we could focus on maybe two or three individuals in each of those and say, what do we need to do to get you to renew within the next six months? That's and I would, it would be, Andrew, what do you need to see for you to say, I need to renew this product? And it would be the same question of your colleagues. And yeah. I get different answers and I'd focus on delivering on those things. Nice. So Sam, you took the sneaky way around and just focusing on the upcoming renewals. Well, uh, well, I'm going to make a difference because I'm focusing on, on re- sure. revenue that's, that's yeah. available within that time period. Reminds me of an know-how, which is understanding and trying to deliver value yeah. for the individuals. Reminds me of an interesting like chat we also had on the show previously is where this concept I learned it from Hotjar again about like interview and the right timing and asking the right questions at the right time. And the practice was actually about your website. So like asking uh, a question on your site about asking for feedback too early. So if you're asking on the website about something about what's stopping you from converting or whatever, is mm-hmm. you're going to get information from the wrong types of people. There's always going to be browsers who are never going to be interested in your product. And if you're taking feedback from that percentage, you send false signals. But asking a question like from somebody post-purchase, what Nelly made you not purchase today? That way you're still getting those people who may be browsing and managed to be convinced by something they saw on the site but were a little bit skeptical. You're going to get those that are going to be customers anyway. Uh, and that feedback is going to be much more directional. But uh, like I, on this conversation, we talked about maybe applying this in the context of customer success and uh, churn and retention, because far often they're not like, we all have these churn exit surveys where we send out yeah. to our customers and say, but what if it was just like focused to all customers that just renewed with a question of what nearly stopped you from renewing? And in that way, you're getting people that have like renewed their product, but also like they're more willing to give that feedback because there might be things that are underlying and they're not happy with. Uh, but I found it an interesting concept. I've been working with companies, always advised CSMs, but anybody that's talking to a, to a customer within reason because you don't want to swamp them. But the question yeah, I think you should always ask is on a scale of zero to 10, how likely are you to renew? And based on their answer, why did you give that score? It's the net promoter, but applied that's in for, a yeah. different way. Yeah. Because that gets you to, one is, is this a risk? The second, it says, what do I need to do to avert that risk? Hmm. And I think that's a, that's a question that that CSMs should ask, that product people should ask, that salespeople, in a way, should ask, that marketing should ask all the time. Because it focuses on, provided you're tying that back to the role rather than just the company, you start to build an understanding of what value means to that role. 
further on. Yeah. I still see it as having some flaws in the same concept as well, in the sense that they might not be the best fit uh, role for the product or for the service and then taking that feedback. But people that have just gone through that moment where they actually renewed the product, you're possibly getting like the best uh, advice on how to keep others that are maybe on the fence like them. Yeah. But yeah, so last question then for today is, what is one thing that you know about churn and retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? The role of product. I think that's a thing that through hard challenge has actually cost me a lot of money. So I think I think a recognition of product of building the value process into the product is something I wish I'd known 20 years ago. Yeah. And it cost me because when we sold 49.9% to SurveyMonkey, the chief exec then said, you know, listen, Dave, we were arguing, we agreed to do a deal and we were arguing about multiples. And I was saying, look at all this. This says we should, you should be giving us this multiple. And Dave Goldberg, bless his soul, he, he died, turned around and said, yeah, but you've got these two things on your PL, on your, particularly on your, on your cost lines. One is support and one is success. You need both, they're both important. But I think they're bigger than they should be. And the reason I said that was if you look at what SurveyMonkey did back in 89, it built itself up from the ground up from being, it's all about the product. Yeah. And that pushed the multiple down. So it cost me personally. Interesting. And you felt the pain <laughs> as a result. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure. It's 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 yes, <laughs> we did the deal. So it must have been a good deal. I was going to say, in the we, old yeah for sure david it's been a pleasure hosting to have really enjoyed this conversation and i'm sure the listeners are going to get a lot of value out of it and thank you so much obviously we'll make sure we have notes and links to the the books so if anybody's interested in picking one up check out our show notes but thanks so much david is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with before we drop off no i think just focus on people not just customers yeah it's not a numbers game it's a people's game yeah it is a numbers game and whether that be your customers whether that be people your colleagues if you get the people piece right lots of other things will usually follow for sure great Uh, well that sounds like it was the bell it's also at my house but it's time up for today thanks so much dave and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward actually i really appreciate it And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.